Welcome to Ministries That Podcast, where I talk to successful ministry leaders about how they're using podcasting to amplify their mission and grow their ministry. I'm Tim Hall, your host and owner of Sonomorphic, a podcast production company that specializes in podcasting for ministries. My guest today is Dave Ramsey. He's the founder and CEO of the company Ramsey Solutions, where he's helped people take control of their money and their lives since 1992. He's also an eight-time national best-selling author, personal finance expert, and host of The Ramsey Show. After battling his way out of bankruptcy and millions of dollars of debt, Dave set out to change the toxic money culture for good, making his company's mission to provide biblically-based, common-sense education and empowerment that give hope to everyone in every walk of life. In today's episode, Dave and I are going to talk about the story behind starting the radio show, podcast, and YouTube channel, how he gets the best callers on the show, and how The Ramsey Show recently achieved number one podcast, all categories, on Apple Podcasts. So let's jump right in. Here's my conversation with Dave Ramsey. Well, Dave, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Honored to be with you, my friend. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So Dave, I've known about Financial Peace University and you for a long time. My parents went through FPU back when it was on VHS tapes and it was those printout workbooks. And I started listening to Entree Leadership, the podcast. At some point after I graduated college, probably around 10 years ago now, and I started my freelance business and I was like, I should know something about business. So I'll find a podcast. And I can't even remember how I came across Andre Leadership Podcast, but started listening to it. And then I got the opportunity to work on the show as editor and producer and eventually get to uh, work alongside you as we changed it over to a caller-driven format the beginning of last year. And so it's been a lot of fun, the time that I got to have at Ramsey Solutions. And I just want to thank you for the opportunity that you gave me to be the producer and grow in the work that I got to do at Ramsey Solutions. Well, we're honored to have had you, and uh, we miss you. So I hope this new gig's a huge success for you. Well, thank you. And speaking of Ramsey Solutions, a lot of people don't know that it's more than a radio show. It's actually a $300 million plus top line business with around a dozen business units. But I think you've heard you say something like uh, Ramsey Solution is a ministry disguised as a business. Is that right? Well, absolutely. I, I think, you know, a ministry is just someone that helps people in the name of God. Exactly. And, uh, and leads them to God. And so certainly that's the business we've been in. The fact that we're for-profit does not disqualify us as being a ministry. When anyone works at their job, their job can be a ministry. They can just declare it that. It doesn't have to be nonprofit, and they don't have to work for low pay or anything else in order for what they're doing to be a ministry. So definitely, we consider it a ministry first because our goal is to love people well, help them Mm -hmm. all in the name of Jesus. Yeah, for sure. So let's go back a few decades to when you went broke and then you began teaching God's and Grandma's ways of handling money. Tell me the story of how you started hosting your own radio show. Well, it was kind of a in my mind, a mistake or a coincidence. In God's mind, it was a plan, Mm. obviously. When we look back on it, we can see his fingerprints all over it. But I was in a real estate club buying nothing down real estate, and I was in the process of going broke, and I was one of the officers in this club. So we had a guy coming to town that was going to, it was a big deal, supposedly, in that real estate world speaking, and we wanted to promote that. So I went on a local talk radio station uh, as a guest to promote the speaker coming in Mm. and talk about what a big deal he was. And the guy was a real estate guy that I had known, and his show was, you know, really, really bad. I mean, it was just like 
a Saturday Night Live skit. You know, it was really bad. But it was, you know, kind of was a broke radio station. They were in bankruptcy. And so we kind of ran out of things to talk about, about the guy coming. And he said, well, I know you've been helping people recently with this budgeting and stuff over at your church and helping people that are in financial trouble. Folks, if you're out there and you've got any trouble questions, Dave can help call. And the phone rang. And he, he had never had the phone ring. It blew his mind. And so <laughs> literally he picked up the phone because there was no phone screener. We went straight to whoever it was. They could have been anybody. It could have been the Unabomber. But some guy came on and is like, my car is getting repoed. Can you help me? And I walked him through what to do. And then the phone rang again. And we took like three or four calls. And this host was amazed. And he said, hey, come back. And I went back down and did the show just as a guest, just for fun a couple times. Again, just to minister and to help folks out there with the experiences we had. And uh, then he quit. And a friend of mine saw his departure. I think they were paying him $35 a day or something. And so a buddy of mine, two buddies of mine, went down and talked to the radio guy running the place and asked him if we could work for free and told him if we were bad, he could cut our pay in half. And (laughs) we were bad. It was really country fried, super deep Tennessee slang on there. And, uh, you know, WWTE and y'all call in now. It was like hee haw on does finance (laughs) or something, but. Hey, the phone rang from day one. That was 30-something years ago, 33 years ago. And so still phones ringing. Who knew? Yeah. And so at that point, it was called the money game, right? That's exactly the first. Yeah. That's what we called it. And so at what point did you start broadcasting three hours live every weekday? Was that from the beginning? No, we were one hour in the morning. And as I said, the station was in bankruptcy and Mm -hmm. Gaylord, a big company that owned a couple of country stations in the area, bought the station out of bankruptcy. And we went and met with the new manager to see if he was going to throw us off the air and put country on. And they had decided to keep it talk. And he saw our ratings, which were through the roof. And he said, hey, we're going to move you into the afternoon and we're going to give you, by then we were two hours, we're going to give you a third hour. And we want that third hour to be against Rush Limbaugh. And if you can beat Rush Limbaugh in the ratings, you'll have something you can brag about to syndicate. And I said, Hmm. yeah, well, since I'm not going to beat Rush Limbaugh in the ratings, are you really setting me up to fail so you can fire me? And he said, no, if I wanted to fire you, I'd just fire you now. So he gave us three hours in the afternoon, and that's the three-hour set we still sit in from one to four in the afternoon. And the reason for that was the first hour was against Rush, and the other two hours were against Sean Hannity. And we were able to, uh, within a couple of books, beat both of them in the Nashville market in ratings. And that gave us some bragging rights to start to sell the show to other cities. Yeah. So, you know, it's a big commitment to produce a one-hour podcast a week, let alone three hours a day. Why would you say you've continued to be committed to that three-hour time block? Well, to be very honest, it doesn't require a lot of prep Mm -hmm. because I have no idea who's going to call when I sit down at this microphone every day. So (laughs) we kind of just walk in and start answering the phone still. And we screen the calls. We don't put crazy people on or whatever, (laughs) um, that kind of thing, but are people that are, you know, going to do something silly that we can't broadcast or something Mm -hmm. like that. But other than that, we don't have a lot of prep. In the last two years, our producer of the show, James Childs, has started doing a little more prep than we've ever done in the entire history. He's bringing in some good content things that we can add and keeping us abreast of trends in the news where we, I mean, we were abreast of them, but he's really on it and we're really Mm -hmm. doing a better job with that. But 
there's not a lot of prep. So the, that's the reason. It's not a lot of work yeah. other than the three-hour commitment a day. Right, and it's right. emotionally draining to sit and do three hours and listen, you know, a lot of pain that people have and, and trying to love them well through all of that and tell them the truth. And so, but the the rewards have been astronomical because we've been able to help so many people yeah. and it's enabled us to have a, a megaphone to grow the business with. Yeah. So what are some ways you have seen a direct correlation between that time on the radio that you've been doing for 30 plus years and the growth of the ministry? Well, uh, again, as we're saying, it started as talk radio only. And so what would happen was as we would add a city with a substantial radio station, with a good station with that had ratings, we would see a substantial bump. You know, if we're not on in Kansas City mm-hmm. and we get KCMO, which we're still on today in Kansas City to carry the show, then we'd see a big bump. We'd see a big bump. We'd see a big bump. And 80% of the nation's population lives in uh, the top 100 cities Hmm. in size. And so if you can clear 100 cities, all top 100, with a radio show back in the day, you were getting to 80% of the population. And so we continuously worked on that top 100, and we added all the Huntsville, Alabamas, and the other things in the midst of it that aren't in the Mm -hmm. top 100, Chattanooga, Tennessee's, whatever, all those kinds of things all across America. We love those, that size city. So eventually we got to 500, and uh, now we're at 680, in terms of that, making us the second largest talk radio show in America. But, you know, we probably hit critical mass somewhere around four something and Mm -hmm. quit seeing exponential growth off of just the show being added to cities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the main driving force then for the business was at the beginning, was it just, were you able to sell ads? You said you were doing it for free. At what point did it start making money? And then it became a business. The show itself didn't make money for probably 10 years. Okay. You know, the satellite cost and the salaries to produce the show and mm-hmm. that kind of a thing allocated to it. We didn't make enough ad revenue directly to cover that in the early days. We were not giving the show any benefit for selling live event tickets or selling books mm. or connecting people through our ELP programs. If we had given it some economic benefit for that, it probably broke even a lot sooner because basically the rest of the business was very profitable because we were driving leads with the show. Sure. So as the show started to gain momentum and podcasting started to come on the scene, when did you decide the show should also be a podcast? I don't remember the date, but podcasting was brand new. Hardly anybody knew what it was. We had a digital guy working for us that was one of these mad scientist guys, right? The hair coming out and the whole bit. And he came into my office one day and said, oh, we need a podcast. And I'm like, what the crud is a podcast? I never even heard of it. And he goes, well, it's a new thing and everybody's doing them and you can make money with them. And I'm like, yeah, right. Yeah. Says everybody on the internet about everything, (laughs) right? So I kind of rolled my eyes and I thought, well, we'll put it up and just see what happens. And sometimes we've tried things like that and we have no idea what the future of them is. And so we did that actually with a website when the web was brand new too. We, oh, who knows? Maybe this will be something someday. (laughs) And so, yeah, we put up a podcast for one hour and I distinctly remember several years later, we were going to New York City to do some, to work with a radio station up there and do some radio event things. And our top radio guy Brian Mayfield's with me and we're walking out of the airport and he said, you know, that podcast is making so-and-so money. And I'm like, you're kidding. Really? 
I said, that one hour? And he goes, yeah, we're selling those. We don't sell many ads, but we sell them for a lot each per ad. And I went, mm. wow, that's pretty amazing. So the only question I've got, Brian, is why we don't have all three hours up and we make three <laughs> times that much. And he said, we'll do that when we get home. And so then it became a three-hour podcast, but it was really not a lot of scientific business study on the whole idea. We put the one hour up and just by word of mouth and yeah. the growth of the industry, the podcast industry, it took hold. And then we put the three hours up and they took off and we've adjusted those over time and taken the ads out because radio has a lot of ads and it podcast doesn't tolerate. Sure. So we've dialed it way back and got all that, you know, we've gotten a lot more sophisticated about managing mm -hmm. the whole podcast process. Yeah, I saw recently, you know, the three hours have been published for, for a while as our one hour, two hour, three every day. And then uh, I think it was back in maybe August of last year that you started doing one episode that is about two hours long, similar to, I believe, what's going on with YouTube, that you're kind of condensing it all down into one show and taking out those ad breaks and taking out the other stuff that's well, it didn't, additional. It didn't have ad breaks in it, but it was yeah. three distinct to listen to one yeah. days of shows, mm -hmm. you had to load three times. Right, exactly. And that was just a throwback from the way the talk radio was built, and there was no real logical reason for it. So once we realized it wouldn't hurt our podcast ratings, as a matter of fact, it actually helped them mm -hmm. because the people have a more of a tendency to listen through the entire three-hour show minus, which comes out to be about two hours when you take all their talk radio commercials out of it. Anyway, so our completion rate went way up. And our downloads went way up when we took away those stupid breaks that were there for no reason. It was just a throwback from the old talk radio days. Yeah, yeah. So how has having a podcast, in addition to the radio, as you've seen that progress over the years, how has that helped you amplify your mission and grow the ministry of Ramsey Solutions? Well, we still work all three streams on mm -hmm. the Ramsey show very, very hard, and that's podcast, YouTube, and talk radio. Yeah. They're very distinct audiences, different people utilize those three formats different ways. Yeah. The demographic of the listener viewer is different. The time they spend on it is different. And so we have to have very specific strategies for each one of them. The good news about podcast and about YouTube is two things. One is the listener growth is not dependent on someone in another city that owns a radio station deciding they're going to put me on the air. Mm -hmm. I'm there. And so the listenership potential is infinite. Same with YouTube, where if I clear a radio station and then they decide they're going to take that station and turn it into a country station and dump all the talk radio off, I lose that audience because they don't have access to me anymore, mm -hmm. to our show anymore. And so it's taken away the gatekeeper by having podcast and YouTube of the radio station being a gatekeeper between me and the audience uh, or us and the audience. And the second thing is the market space is just infinite and the international implications are huge as well. Right. Yeah. So let's dig into that a little bit. You mentioned that you're on three different platforms and that they all, you know, people go to those platforms for different reasons. How have you been able to balance making a show that's engaging no matter where people are listening or watching? Well, it turns out compelling content is just compelling. And so we get away with it, you know, mm -hmm. and always have. And it's the reason for the success of the thing is the Ann Landers idea that, you know, we read the Ann Landers column for her advice to someone writing in. If any of you are really old, you know who Ann Landers was. She used to have a column and it was about life and you would write into Ann and ask a question about your marriage or something. And the rest of us get to be voyeurs and look in on 
this person's weird situation and Anne's mm-hmm. advice about it. And it's entertaining. Humans are entertaining. And you might get some advice that actually applies to you, even though I was talking to or we were talking to someone else. And so that has continued to work. Uh, it's one of the reasons we flipped the Entree podcast to be caller-driven as well, mm-hmm. because turns out that business owners calling in and asking me leadership questions of real-world situations is more informative and more entertaining than the latest book author who has an idea about leadership. And a lot of my friends write those books, and we've had them on the Entree podcast for years, and we won't totally abandon them there. But, you know, moving to a caller-driven format there has been a help. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of YouTube and some of the other platforms, with YouTube specifically, at what point did you, you're doing the radio show, you had the podcast, at what point did you decide, hey, we're going to throw cameras in the room and put this up on YouTube as well? Uh, Sometime after the podcast, Mm -hmm. YouTube had a thing where they were finally allowing live. YouTube, when it was first out, was just recorded only. Right. And so they had a live stream ability. And once we saw that, we went, okay, let's put it on there. The only problem was YouTube audiences have a very low tolerance for commercials. And we're streaming this thing live with 38 minutes of content and 22 minutes of commercials every hour, which was unacceptable to a YouTube audience. So Mm -hmm. back in those days, we hired George Camel as a host. And he would, during the big, long commercial breaks, he would be in the lobby with the audience that was watching us and interviewing them and talking to them. And we would create video packages to drop and run. There were additional content pieces Mm -hmm. during those breaks instead of trying to run commercials all the way through them. And that enabled it to work for a while. And then we were able to flip. YouTube got more sophisticated and so did our technology. And we were able to flip the format to where we just did away with that and did away with the commercials. And we run it, I think we run it one hour late or something like that. And so it spits back out almost live but not quite live, and we're able to carve all the commercial time out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then let's talk about radio for a second. It's still very important to The Ramsey Show, and you can be heard on over, you said, 680 stations. Why is it still such a valuable piece in distributing the show? Well, I mean, there's several million people out there listening to it, and as long as they're there, we'll be there. We're on Sirius XM. You know, we're on anything that'll Mm -hmm. carry the show. We're format agnostic. We don't care where we can put the show. Uh, We're on TBN. You know, they're carrying the show. We're on a bunch of different things. Anywhere we can put the thing where somebody can see it or hear it and it helps somebody ends up that we can serve them. And if we serve Mm -hmm. them, then it ends up being a good, a good transaction with that person. And so radio is the same way. As long as there's an audience there, we'll be there. Talk radio has not been doing well lately as an industry. It's struggling. Because the on-demand aspect of YouTube or sure. a podcast is even old people like me get in the car and turn on, you know, Spotify or turn mm-hmm. on a podcast or something or turn on an audio book, something on demand, rather than listen to as many commercials as we've been talking about this entire time together today. Yeah. <laughs> seems like I'm wearing commercials out today, but they're there. They're real. Yeah. And I think in, if I'm remembering right, in a staff meeting too, you've said something to the effect of by being on those radio stations, we're also displacing other content because we're taking up that time. And I think that's probably a huge piece of that too. You're already there. Let's keep our spot. Let's keep reaching these people and not have these other random folks come in that are going to be taking up that airtime. Yeah. That's why we come into any Mm -hmm. platform in the mainstream and don't just exist only in a Christian environment because we're able to displacement theory. We're able to fill the glass with 
clean water and displace some of the trash that's out there. So even in a podcast setting where the number of shows can be infinite, we're taking up the person's time Mm -hmm. that's listening to us or watching us. And that keeps them from spending their time on something that's not godly, a show or a piece of content that's ugly. So yeah, we're trying to take up space for the kingdom wherever we go, whether it's headspace or radio bandwidth space or TV channel space, whatever it is, we want to take up space for the kingdom and deliver something that's glorifying the Lord. Podcasting takes a lot of time, effort, and to be honest, a lot of Googling. What if you could ask like-minded people how to overcome the challenges you're facing starting a podcast, growing a podcast, or producing multiple podcasts? I think starting a community like that would be super valuable, but I want to know what you think. Would you be interested in being part of a community of ministry leaders using podcasts to amplify their mission and grow their ministry? If so, let me know by filling out the interest form using the link in the show notes. So today there's a whole team around you that produced the show. At the beginning, it was just you and then and then Blake joined you. But with that team around you that makes the show happen every day, what's it been like delegating content decisions and building trust with producers and, and call screeners over the years? Well, we teach in Entree Leadership, as you remember, I'm sure that delegation comes from two things, when you can trust someone's competence mm-hmm. and you can trust their integrity. And trust is not instantaneous, and it's not assigned because a position was assigned. The day you became the producer of the Entree Leadership Podcast, we didn't just hand you the keys and walk away blindly. We walked with you. Mm-hmm. The Entree team, uh, you know, what are you putting on there, Tim? What is it we're put? What kind of face are we putting on this brand with mm-hmm. this podcast? And so we collaborate on everything in this building. No single person drives the car of any kind by themselves ever. But that's not micromanaging. In the early days of someone having a position, you know, we are micromanaging. That's called training. And once we get them trained where we can trust their competence and their integrity, then they drive the car, Mm -hmm. but there's still someone sitting in the seat beside them and still, you know, going, hey, this, why don't we turn left here? There's traffic up there. And, you know, we're just, we're working together on it continually, but it's easy to delegate to people that know their stuff and that have the right heart and that care deeply and that have proven over time that they can perform in that role. It's very easy to delegate because no one wants to do all the work by themselves. No, yeah. And the call screeners have a big job on The Ramsey Show because you get tons of calls, as you talked about. What's been the type of content that you want those call screeners to put through? How do you get the best calls on the show? You know, Blake and I went to a radio convention 25 or 30 years ago, And we heard the talk radio guy, some famous guy up there talking. He said, the calls you put on are the records you play. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to run a radio station, you better play hits. And if you don't play hits, they're going to turn off your radio station. And 1% of the listening audience will ever call. Mm. So he was making the point of some of these characters on the radio. He said, you know, some of these characters, you can make every single caller look bad and mad at you and still have a hugely successful show because the other 99% are laughing or they're rolling their eyes and Mm -hmm. the absurdity of the thing, they're jumping in. Now, we don't have that goal. We don't want to make them look bad. But the point being is that the callers are a method 
of ministry to the rest of the audience. Mm-hmm. And so they're the sermon content for Sunday morning. And so I've got to put the right ones on. We've got to put the right ones on for the rest of the audience. We're not here to technically serve that singular caller. Otherwise, we'd take boring 401k questions all day long because there's <laughs> 9 million of those come in, you know, but that doesn't serve the audience. The audience will tune out and that's not, they don't want that stuff. They want to hear how to do life with their money, how to deal with a spouse, how to have a marriage conflict or a grown child conflict. They want to know about a car being repoed. They want to know about how to buy something, how to grow wealth. They want to know their dreams, their fears. And so it has to be very emotional and very broad-based. We're not looking for the Jerry Springer financial call, the wild and crazy thing that just because it's bizarre is entertaining. We don't look for that. Sometimes we get one of those, and because they're fairly rare, they're usually very popular and funny, but we don't try to base the show on that. We try to base the show based on, when we answer this question, have we served the audience? Have we made them smile? Have we made them cry? Have we made them think about their own life? Have we made them believe that they can win when we answer these calls? And so that's how we select a call, is does it serve the audience, not does this guy need his question answered? If he needs his question answered, we can hook him up with a financial counselor. That's not the end of the world. Yeah. And over the course of, you know, the 30 years that you've done the show, it was the money game, and then it was the Dave Ramsey show, and then not too long ago, it changed to the Ramsey show, and you had personalities join with you on the show and and host with or without you. What's been the vision and the goal, and how has that played out? Well, the idea behind that latest change is someday I'm not going to be here. Right. And uh, it would be a shame for the folks that work here to not have a job because I didn't have a plan to replace myself at the various things I do around here, from CEO to onstage talent to author to the show itself. And so it's a succession planning move is what it is. Mm -hmm. We moved the website before we moved the radio show name from DaveRamsey.com to RamseySolutions.com. And it cost us a lot because we lost a lot of organic traffic mm-hmm. when we did that. There was no way to get it all transferred. And so it's, it's now back and then some. We're up substantially over what DaveRamsey.com was, but it took a while. But when there is no Dave Ramsey, DaveRamsey.com is not going to be real logical. So we've got to think through that, and none of us are getting out of this alive, so we need to figure out what's going to happen when we're not here. And that succession planning is what brought that about. So the strange thing was on the Ramsey show, (laughs) we moved it from, I mean, we already had the hosts on. Mm -hmm. We put a co-host on with me uh, in the middle of the Fauci pandemic. And so, you know, we had co-hosts the whole time on that and we just kept them. And I said, all right, let's just keep them. And this is because that's the way this is going to work. And then they can co-host together when I'm not here. And the audience will get used to them. They'll get better and better on the air, more entertaining, better to deliver the content, better to answer the questions. And they have. And so then we flipped the switch and we didn't announce it. We didn't even tell the 680 affiliates that we were changing the name. We just changed it one day. And the weird thing was hardly anybody noticed. Mm. It was kind of sad, but... Two radio stations out of 680 called and said, what are y'all doing? We told them, and they said, oh, okay. And there were a bunch of comments on YouTube, like, is Dave going to retire tomorrow? Ooh, 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 because the comments on YouTube are crazier than crud anyway. <laughs> and so we got all that crazies, the YouTube crazies, we call them on there. They all went nuts. But no one really noticed, hmm. which is a little bit distressing. 
because I noticed that I wasn't <laughs> as important as I used to be. It was personally a problem, but it was also the right thing to do for everyone involved, the listeners and our whole company and my family and everybody else. So we made the move and never looked back. And now the ratings are oftentimes we see increases in uh, viewership and time spent that are better when I'm not on the air than when I am on the air. The personalities are more than taking over the ability to carry the show when I'm not here. Well, that's great news for MC Solutions. How, how does that make you feel? <laughs> <laughs> Less important. <laughs> Probably the way I should have been feeling all along, but now I'm there. <laughs> now you're actually feeling it. Well, last month, The Ramsey Show hit a huge milestone by hitting number one podcast in all categories on Apple Podcasts. Congratulations on that accomplishment. And the Apple Podcast rankings, as you know, are largely due to velocity of subscribers. So what's been your best strategy for adding subscribers and growing your audience? Well, we had a huge jump in subscribers to all the uh, platforms last year because we were very, very, very intentional about growing that. Uh, and we, it was about a 23% jump overall, year over year, which is a huge yeah. audience increase. Wow. And we did that probably with three things. As we think it happened with three things. We're not sure. We were doing three things to cause it to happen. Mm. We'll see if they, I don't know which one caused it more than others. But one is we were very specific in the labeling of each show mm. and started being real careful about trying to have a reason to open that episode. Sure, yeah. The titling of it and the thumbnail on it and the whole thing on the YouTube files as well as on the podcast files. The second thing we did was first time in the history of the show in 30 years, we actually did some marketing. We hmm. spent money trying to tell people that don't know we exist that we're here. Hmm. And that marketing was pretty effective. Blake Thompson ran that initiative. And as you know, Blake's very smart yeah. in that area. And the Ramsey marketers are very good at what they do. We just never pointed them at the radio show. We've always marketed books or marketed hmm whatever, events or other things. And so the marketing actually worked. And the third thing is that we had a company-wide initiative and the podcasts were no exception. The YouTube shows were no exception was every single person, every single time, ask a customer now to share hmm. what we're doing. Yeah. Tell somebody what we're doing. We're asking them, we're trying to initiate our tribe to help us tell other people. And yeah. so we started Every day, we have a note in front of us to at least once a day on everything we're doing, say, please share the show. Please subscribe and follow the show. Please leave us a five-star review on the show. All of those things affect the algorithm, and we appreciate you. You know, If you want to say thank you to us, that's a way you can say thank you. Mm. Please share. Please leave a five-star review, and please subscribe. Please follow whatever the format is calling for. Some of them have a share link. Some of them you have to cut the link and send it. But either way, so tell your friends about it. 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 And we had never asked anybody to do that. Mm. But once we asked them to, they start doing it. I did it. <laughs> Duh. And so our audience is probably – my feeling is, and it's just a gut feeling, I have nothing to base this on at all, is that that third one was the magic that drove us to mm. number one. I think the other two things were important. Yeah. Uh, Blake thinks it's its marketing, though. <laughs> 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 it might have been. But I think our tribe you know, are wonderful people, and we said, hey, would you help us? And a bunch of them did. And them telling their friends about it because we asked them to, in one form or another, subscribing, following, sharing, yeah. 
rating, whatever. I think that's one of the things that did it. But those three things combined, some combination of those, some weighting of those three things is the only thing we can attribute it to. It is not random. It was a series of proactive things inside the organization here. Yeah, that's cool to hear how all those compounded together. Yeah, I mean, sharing person-to-person, just word-of-mouth marketing with podcasting seems to be super effective. So that totally makes sense, as well as doing marketing after not really doing a whole lot of it, you know, those compounding. Um, now, I'm in my 60s, but it's not unusual for my wife when we're at dinner with friends to go to ask two questions. What podcasts are you listening to mm. and what Netflix shows are you watching? <laughs> and that's how she gets her information yeah. from somebody at dinner. And then they share, be it not digitally, but they share yeah, uh, in an analog manner, tell you right then, hey, we're watching this or listening to that, and that's how we found out about Yellowstone. It wasn't because someone's marketing. Yeah, yeah. So now that you've been doing the radio show for over 30 years, what are you excited about for the future of the Ramsey Show and Ramsey Solutions as a whole? Well, I'm really excited that the audience has embraced, and our, again, our numbers are up more when the uh, Ramsey personalities are on. That means that this is sustainable when I'm not here. I'm not planning on going anywhere, but that's very sustainable. I'm very excited about that. There's a lot of really good opportunities in the digital realm for us to open up the, you know, what's the next podcast? What's the next YouTube? I mean, both of those things were in their infancy. We were early adopters on both of them. And so, as I said, we're platform agnostic and always have been. How can we get the message out? Mm -hmm. How can we get the message out? How can we help somebody? And if you give us a way to do that, if it's a hologram on your phone, I'll be standing there like a hologram. I'll be <laughs> looking like Obi-Wan in just a minute. I mean, you give me a way to do this, we're going to go do it. And we'll be one of the first ones to the party. And we've been the first ones to some parties that the party didn't turn out well, but we just left the party and everybody's yeah. done. You know, there's a lot of failures out there. These three categories, talk radio, podcast, and YouTube happen to be big successes, but there's plenty of times that I'm glad I didn't shut everything down and go to one format only and one company only, because when that company went bye-bye, we'd have gone with it. Yeah. All right. Well, now it comes to our high-pass segment where we ignore the lows and I ask about some of your favorite things. So a bit of a rapid-fire kind of deal. What's your favorite type of call to take right now? Uh, truly someone that, that it, it always has been my favorite call. Someone that's calling in, they're scared and they're mm-hmm. hopeless, and we have the answer. And by the end of the call, they're not scared anymore, and they're not hopeless. They can see that we are going to be able to show them what to do. We've given them some things to do. We call it the light bulb moment. If you know in the old cartoons, the light bulb comes on over your head, and it's like a switch flips, and, oh, I'm not going to get foreclosed on. Oh, we don't have to file bankruptcy. Oh, I can get out of debt. You know, and that light bulb moment – when I can see that in the first 30 seconds of them on the air and they can't see it and we can get them there before they get off the air emotionally, and we're not going to get them out of debt before they get off the air, but I mean, but if we can show them how it's going to be done and make them believe it, that story arc right in front of you is powerful. Yeah, for sure. All right. What's your favorite show to host right now? The Ramsey Show or Entree Leadership? (laughs) Which is my favorite child? Uh, I love all my children. (laughs) I mean, I'm curious because we got to go through that together, the process of you becoming host of Entree Leadership. How has that changed up your week and given you another outlet to take calls with? 
Well, in a typical week, it's added three hours of broadcast (laughs) (laughs) because we have to put some in the can to get ahead of the curve when I'm not in town. And so this particular week, I will do three of them before we're done. So it's added to the workload is what it's done. But I enjoy it. It's easy. Again, the way we're setting it up, it's caller-driven now. I don't have to do a lot of prep. I just pick up the phone and say, what's up with your business? What's up with your leadership? And it is very fun because it's a different, you know, you don't eat, uh, I like tacos, but I don't want to eat them every day. So, you know, it's a whole nother, we can have Indian food over here. We can have some sushi or something. (laughs) And that's, you know, so entrees a change of pace and it breaks the monotony. And I love small business people for a lot of different reasons. And so I admire them. I think they're the backbone of American economy. So I'm excited with what you're doing, running your own thing. It's the only way I'd let you leave here is if you went and did your own thing. And so, you know, I love, as you know, I mean, we the Entree brand is built on our love of small business. So I enjoy yeah. that part of it. It's a lot of fun, but I'll always enjoy the Ramsey show as long as I make sense on the air and we'll keep doing it. Yeah. All right. What's one of your favorite stories from a listener about how the Ramsey show has impacted their life? Uh you know, I don't think there's a single one. It's probably the metaphor of the thousands now of debt-free screams that have come on the air and done their debt-free scream, meaning they come on the air to celebrate the fact that they've become debt-free and then scream at the end of the call, I'm debt-free. And, you know, the different stories we hear doing that, I've been doing this a long time and still almost every week, one of those gets me teary eyed. Mm. The human spirit and what they can overcome when they're willing to sacrifice. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it yields a harvest of sacrifice. What the human spirit can accomplish when they believe, when they have hope, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when desire comes, it is the tree of life. I mean, these biblical principles unfold right Mm -hmm. before your eyes about hope and belief and the power of someone's spirit. And humans are, we're just weird. We're very fragile in that a lot of things can wound us in the spirit, but also our spirits are very resilient in that we can overcome an amazing amount of things when we believe we can. And so plugging into those folks and watching people do that and the face that they have when they're doing it and the marriages, the way they look at each other because they went and won together, that'll never get old as long as I'm breathing air. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So what's your favorite ministry podcast to listen to, or what's your favorite ministry that you wish had a podcast? Oh, wow. You know, I pull up a lot of pastors and Mm. listen to the sermons around, and again, I won't I won't pick on some of them by not saying their name because I might forget it, but I enjoy listening to a good sermon and any of the pastors. I always listen to my friend Craig Groeschel's leadership podcast. Mm-hmm. He does a, He and I have been friends a long time, and his, his leadership podcast is incredible. It's not his primary, but he, he enjoys the leadership subject as I do, and we've spoken together many times, and he has some great guests and some great content there. I, I seldom miss that one. It's not a ministry, but I listen to my friend Mike Rowe all the time. I like his stuff. He's got some really good long-form interviews, so I'll throw those two in there. But, uh, you know, lots of pastors and preachers around that I'll pull up periodically and listen to. Some are better produced than others. Some are hard to listen to because they Mm. do such a crummy job putting it together, but the content's good. And so I think if I was going to wish anything, I would just wish for more excellence in, Mm. in the building of the actual podcast so it sits in front of me easier as a user. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, as we close today's episode, Dave, what advice would you give 
to somebody that's a radio host or a podcast host that wants their show to outlive them and continue to be a driving force for their ministry for years to come? Well, you got to have a replacement plan. I mean, you've mm-hmm. got to have a succession plan, whether it's on the air or off the air. And if you don't have a plan, it's going to get real quiet when you're gone. And that microphone's going to have nobody sitting there. So that's going to mean you're going to share some of your ego and you're going to share some of your, it's an act of humility to to have the nobility to look into the future and say, I'm not going to be here. And it's important that this thing continue for the sake of other people. And that means you're going to involve someone else. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to involve things like name changes and sharing time on a microphone and otherwise, because the guy that just steps in or the gal that just steps in after the founder leaves has a very low, if they just walk in for the first day after that has a very low success ratio. You know, if the, pastor dies and the first time the replacement pastor steps in the pulpit is after his death or if he quits cold or gets fired cold and the first time you put someone in there but he's been there 30 years you put him in the pulpit after that that success ratio is very low a gentle gradual handoff over time allows the audience to adjust and accept and even embrace the new person coming into that microphone whether it's a pulpit or a a podcast, a radio show, whatever it is. And my friend Rush Limbaugh is an example of that, passing away a couple of years ago. Mm. He just left a tremendous void. There was no handoff. It just, there is a handoff. I mean, two guys are doing the show and they're doing a nice job. They're good guys. Both of them are good. They're doing good radio, but they lost the majority of those radio stations and the majority of that audience because they did not have a plan. Yeah. Well, Dave, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today and share about your journey with radio and podcast and YouTube over the past 30 plus years. My joy, sir. My honor. We're proud of what you're doing and any way we can help, you know, we will. I appreciate it, Dave. Thanks. Thanks. What a great episode. That was a lot of fun to talk with Dave, and I'm glad we got to hear the strategy behind The Ramsey Show hitting number one podcast, all categories, on Apple Podcasts. He said it was a combination of being really intentional about the episode titles, marketing the show for the first time in 30 years, and then asking customers and listeners to share and follow or subscribe to the show. I mean, that's some great insight into the work that went into reaching the number one podcast. You can listen to The Ramsey Show with the link in the show notes. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Ministries That Podcast, produced by Sonomorphic. If you enjoyed today's episode, text it to a friend or share it on social media. Together, we can help more ministries grow and thrive through podcasting. And if you haven't already, follow or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on the next episode and leave a five-star review while you're there. Now, come back in two weeks for a How They Could podcast episode. I'll be talking about The Chosen, the first ever multi-season TV show about the life of Jesus seen through the eyes of those who knew him. Their YouTube channel has 2.3 million subscribers. They have a community called The Chosen Insiders and held a live event, ChosenCon, in the fall of last year, but they don't have a podcast. So I'll be unpacking my podcast strategy for The Chosen and why it'd be a huge value for consistently engaging with their loyal audience. Until then, keep encouraging your audience as they follow Jesus. Jesus.